0: This is Day 158, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, 2 Kings 20 and 21, 2 Chronicles 31 and 32, and Psalm 143 and 144. 2 Kings 20 In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says, Put your house in order, because you are going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, Prepare a poultice of figs. They did so and applied it to the boil, and he recovered. Hezekiah had asked Isaiah, what will be the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I will go up to the temple of the Lord on the third day from now? Isaiah answered, this is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will do what he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward 10 steps or shall it go back 10 steps? It is a simple matter for the shadow to go forward 10 steps, said Hezekiah. Rather, have it go back 10 steps. Then the prophet Isaiah called on the Lord and the Lord made the shadow go back The 10 steps it had gotten down on the stairway of Ahaz. At that time, Marduk Baladon, son of Baladon, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of Hezekiah's illness. Hezekiah received the envoys and showed them all that was in his storehouses, the silver, the gold, the spices, and the fine olive oil, his armory, and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, What did those men say, and where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied. They came from Babylon. The prophet asked, What did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace. Hezekiah said, There is nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon." The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought, Will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? As for the other events of Hezekiah's reign, all his achievements and how he made the pool and the tunnel by which he brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the Annuals, the kings of Judah? Hezekiah rested with his ancestors, and Manasseh, his son, succeeded him as king. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. His mother's name was Hepzibah. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole, as Ahab king of Israel had done. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. In the two courts of the temple of the Lord he built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his own son in the fire, practiced divination, sought omens, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. He took the carved Asherah pole he had made and put it in the temple of which the Lord had said to David and to his son Solomon, in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not again make the feet of the Israelites wander from the land I gave their ancestors. If only they will be careful to do everything I commanded them and will keep the whole law that my servant Moses gave them. But the people did not listen. Manasseh led them astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. The Lord said through His servants, the prophets, Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these detestable sins. He has done more evil than the Amorites who preceded him and has led Judah into sin with his idols. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I am going to bring such disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. I will stretch out over Jerusalem the measuring line used against Samaria and the plumb line used against the house of Ahab. I will wipe out Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and give them into the hands of enemies. They will be looted and plundered by all their enemies. They have done evil in my eyes and have aroused my anger from the day their ancestors came out of Egypt until this day. Moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end, besides the sin that he had caused Judah to commit, so that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. As for the other events of Manasseh's reign and all he did, including the sin he committed, are they not written in the book of the annuals of the kings of Judah? Manasseh rested with his ancestors and was buried in his palace garden, the garden of Uzzah, and Amon his son succeeded him as king. Amon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem two years. His mother's name was Meshumalath, daughter of Haruz. She was from Jatbah. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. He followed completely the ways of his father, worshiping the idols his father had worshiped and bowing down to them. He forsook the Lord, the God of his ancestors, and did not walk in obedience to him. Amon's officials conspired against him and assassinated the king in his palace. Then the people of the land killed all who had plotted against King Amon, and they made Josiah his son king in his palace. As for the other events of Amon's reign and what he did, are they not written in the book of the annuals of the kings of Judah? He was buried in the tomb in the garden of Uzzah, and Josiah his son succeeded him as king. 2 Chronicles 31 When all this had ended, The Israelites who were there went out to the towns of Judah, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. They destroyed the high places in the altar through Judah and Benjamin and in Ephraim and Manasseh. After they had destroyed all of them, the Israelites returned to their own towns and to their own properties. Hezekiah assigned the priests and Levites to divisions, each of them according to their duties as priests of or Levites, to offer burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, to minister, to give thanks, and to sing praises at the gates of the Lord's dwelling. The king contributed from his own possessions for the morning and evening burnt offerings and for the burnt offerings on the Sabbath, at the new moons, and at the appointed festivals as written in the law of the Lord. He ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priests and Levites so they could devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, olive oil, and honey, and all that the fields produced. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. The people of Israel and Judah who lived in the towns of Judah also brought a tithe of their herds and flocks and a tithe of the holy things, dedicated to the Lord their God. And they piled them in heaps. They began doing this in the third month and finished in the seventh month. When Hezekiah and his officials came and saw the heaps, they praised the Lord and blessed his people Israel. Hezekiah asked the priests and Levites about the heaps, and Azariah, the chief priest from the family of Zadok, answered, Since the people began to bring their contributions to the temple of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and plenty to spare, because the Lord has blessed his people, and this great amount is left over. Hezekiah gave orders to prepare storerooms in the temple of the Lord, and this was done. Then they faithfully brought in the contributions, tithes, and dedicated gifts. Cananiah, a Levite, was the overseer in charge of these things, and his brother Shammai was next in rank. Jahiel, Azaziah, Nahath, Ashehel, Jeremoth, Jezebad, Eliel, Ishmaiah, Methah, and Beniah were assistants of Cananiah and Shammai, his brother. All these served by appointment of King Hezekiah and Azariah, the official in charge of the temple of God. Kor, son of Imnah, the Levite, keeper of the east gate, was in charge of the freewill offerings given to God, distributing the contributions made to the Lord and also the consecrated gifts. Eden, Menem, Sheshu, Shamanhai, Amari, and Shechanai assisted him faithfully in the towns of the priests, distributing to their fellow priests according to their divisions, old and young alike. In addition, they distributed to the male three-year-old or more whose name were in the genealogical records, all who would enter the temple of the Lord to perform the daily duties of their various tasks, according to their responsibilities and their divisions, and they distributed to the priests enrolled by their families in the genealogical records, and likewise to the Levites twenty years old or more, according to their responsibilities." and their divisions. They included all the little ones, the wives and the sons and daughters of the whole community listed in these genealogical records, for they were faithful in consecrating themselves. As for the priests, the descendants of Aaron who lived on the farmlands around their towns or in other towns, men were designated by name to distribute portions to every male among them and to all who were recorded in the genealogies of the Levites. This is what Hezekiah did through Judah, doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. In everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple, and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly. And so he prospered. After all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. He laid siege to the fortified cities, thinking to conquer them for himself, when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he intended to wage war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his officials and military staff about blocking off the water from the spring outside the city, and they helped him. They gathered a large group of people who blocked all the springs and the streams that flowed through the land. Why should the king of Assyria come and find plenty of water, they said. Then he worked hard repairing all the broken sections of the wall and building towers on it. He built another wall outside that one and reinforced the terraces of the city of David. He also made large numbers of weapons and shields. He appointed military officers over the people and assembled them before him in the square at the city and encouraged them with these words. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. Later, when Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and all his forces were laying siege to Lashish, he sent his officers to Jerusalem with this message to Hezekiah, king of Judah, and for all the people of Judah who were there. This is what Sennacherib, king of Assyria, says. On what are you basing your confidence? That you remain in Jerusalem under siege. When Hezekiah says, The Lord our God will save us for the hand of the king of Assyria, he is misleading you to let you die of hunger and thirst. Did not Hezekiah himself remove this God's high places and altar, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, You must worship before one altar and burn sacrifices on it. Do you not know what I and my predecessors have done to all the people of the other lands? Were the gods of those nations ever able to deliver their land from my hand? Who of all the gods of these nations that my predecessors destroyed has been able to save his people from me? How then can your God deliver you from my hand? Now do not let Hezekiah deceive you and mislead you like this. Do not believe him, for no god of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my predecessors. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? Son of Cherub's officers spoke further against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. The king also wrote letters ridiculing the Lord, the God of Israel, and saying this against him, Just as the gods of the peoples of the other lands did not rescue their people from my hand, so the God of the Hezekiah will not rescue his people from my hand. Then they called out in Hebrew to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to terrify them and make them afraid in order to capture the city. They spoke about the God of Jerusalem as they did about the gods of the other people of the world, the work of human hands. King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, cried out in prayer to heaven about this. And the Lord sent an angel who annihilated all the fighting men and the commanders and officers in the camp of the Syrian king. So he withdrew to his own land in disgrace. And when he went into the temple of his God, some of his sons, his own flesh and blood, cut him down with the sword. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others. He took care of them on every side. Many brought offerings to Jerusalem for the Lord and valuable gifts for Hezekiah, king of Judah. From then on, he was highly regarded by all the nations. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. He prayed to the Lord who answered him and gave him a miraculous sign. But Hezekiah's heart was proud, and he did not respond to the kindness shown him. Therefore, the Lord's wrath was on him and on Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah repented of the pride of his heart, as did the people of Jerusalem. Therefore, the Lord's wrath did not come on them during the days of Hezekiah. Hezekiah had very great wealth and honor, and he made treasuries for his silver and gold and for his precious stones, spices, shields, and all kinds of valuables. He also made buildings to store the harvest of grain, new wine, and olive oil and he made stalls for various kinds of cattle, and pens for the flocks. He built villages and acquired great numbers of flocks and herds, for God had given him very great riches. It was Hezekiah who blocked the upper outlet of the Gehon spring and channeled the water down to the west side of the city of David. He succeeded in everything he undertook. But when envoys were sent by the rulers of Babylon to ask him about the miraculous sign that had occurred in the land, God left him to test him and to know everything that was in his heart. The other events of Hezekiah's reign and his actions of devotion are written in the vision of the prophet Isaiah, son of Amaz, in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. Hezekiah rested with his ancestors and was buried on the hill, where the tombs of David's descendants are. All Judah and the people of Jerusalem honored him when he died, and Manasseh, his son, succeeded him as king. Psalm 143 Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your work. And consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hand to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring my word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. Praise be to the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. Lord, what are human beings that you care for them, mere mortals that you think of them? They are like a breath, their days are like a fleeting shadow. Part your heavens, Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Send forth lightning and scatter the enemy. Shoot your arrow and rout them. Reach down your hand from on high. Deliver me and rescue me from the mighty waters, from the hands of foreigners, whose mouths are full of lies, whose right hands are deceitful. I will sing a new song to you, my God. On the ten-stringed lyre I will make music to you, to the one who gives victories to kings, who delivers his servant David. From the deadly sword deliver me, rescue me from the hands of foreigners, whose mouths are full of lies, whose right hand are deceitful. Then our sons in their youth will be like well-nurtured plants, and our daughters will be like pillars carved to adorn a palace." Our barns will be filled with every kind of provision. Our sheep will increase by thousands, by tens of thousands in our fields. Our oxen will draw heavy loads. There will be no breaching of walls, no going into captivity, no crying of distress in our streets. Blessed is the people of whom this is true. Blessed is the people whose God is the Lord. For me, there's important wisdom here on this concept of alliances. So, in politics, economics, business, even in, in ancient and maybe even some, some types of practices of marriage today, the concept of an alliance is of central and critical importance for purposes like power, survival, control, growth, and so on. It's interesting to note that Dr. Conkle describes how King Hezekiah, the southern king of Judah, who had been so faithful doing good in the eyes of the Lord, let or invited at some point in the story pride. Not sure how it got there, but pride seemed to turn his heart from the Lord for at least part of the story. And this pride, maybe it was the pride before, or maybe it was the alliance that led to the pride, but he sought alliances with nations that worshipped other idols. And we know from the story so far, from Exodus, for example, chapter 23, verse 32, Exodus chapter 34, verse 12, there are also passages in the story from Deuteronomy, Judges, Second Chronicles, Hosea, Isaiah, and more. It's not that all alliances are bad strategy, but there is certainly a clear and telling truth in this story through the sheer patterning of testament to God's not allowing of all types of alliances specifically if it's just for, you know, rational reasons and the group of people are worshiping other gods. So the boundary seems to be you can't have an alliance with a tribe or nation or group of people that worships other gods. There's this message of concern about the proximity that creates danger. Think back to the serpent, the adversary in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. His presence initiated maybe, escalated maybe, maybe both, Eve and Adam to eat from the tree of knowledge that led them to drift and defect. While King Hezekiah is given high praise in this story for his faithfulness, I particularly liked his steadfastness in response to the very real threat of the Assyrian king who was using fear tactics, and how he didn't allow a perfectly justifiable fear of failure to overwhelm him or his people in Israel. Yet, we know there is a failure in his faithfulness, somewhere in his heart, in his leadership, that will be the final straw that sets into motion their exile into Babylon later on. Yet you still get the sense in the story that God loved him as we read about God hearing Hezekiah's prayers and seeing his tears. I love to be reminded that God hears our prayers and sees our tears. God extended his life at Hezekiah's request for healing. Dr. Conkle states that the centrally important Jewish texts called the Talmud are at least some Talmudists interpret and believe that Hezekiah was or should have, or God wanted him to be the Messiah. That really surprised me, even though I acknowledge his feats in military, economic, religious, and sociocultural restoration or conquest and development. The details aren't all clear, but the story says God tested him to know his heart, and we know he fell short. It seems like his pride, perhaps his desire for prosperity, overtook him. Remember how we read that he showed the Babylonian visitors all his wealth? There was no mention that God blessed him with riches, as the story also says. And the author doesn't seem to be painting a story of a humble man here. And we know acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly are important to the Lord. Biblical scholars point to the forbidden alliances and his pride as the reason for the exile of the southern kingdom into Babylon. But God would do it after Hezekiah. We also read about the tragedy of his son, the successor, King Manasseh, who brought evil like a fire hose amount back into Israel. It just felt it feels like a boomerang whiplash when I read it, with what seems to be every kind of defection from God's will and ways. His son, the successor, was also terribly evil, but his grandson, Josiah, seems to be more obedient, bringing reform to the southern kingdom. Through it all, it's amazing how God's presence, message, and will is still working, even when there is so much drift and defection. This gives me hope when I feel this today in our, in our culture or in our place in time. This story, life, is so complicated on one hand, but God's love of justice and mercy seem to be simple and straightforward. Tomorrow, we will even read how some restoration or redemption are offered to the terrible, evil king, Manasseh. Like Marty Solomon said, God is keeping the covenant for Israel. His faith is covering over and working, moving despite the unfaithfulness and inconsistencies of Israel. How great is our God? And as the psalm reading ended, we are blessed because we are His. Our focus is on the response, the wholehearted response to His love and faithfulness. Do we seek to accept the boundaries He gives and thrive, flourishing in the God-given purpose of ruling, reigning, and subduing for His name, putting Him on display by loving justice, loving mercy, walking humbly, being prodigally generous, interceding for others in prayer, and helping others navigate to Jesus for atonement? Are we creating rhythms, remembering, discovering, coming close to the story, the details of God's Word to put on the armor of God, calling on the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, to help us make the response he desires from us in our lives, in our spheres of influence. These practices are given in the story to anchor us in him, to avoid the drift of loving the things, roles, people, money God gives. Like Ecclesiastes reminded us, these are vapor. We can enjoy them, show gratitude, and use them to bless others, putting his name on display. I'm reminded to check my life for red flags, to try not to hold on to or allow the very things God blessed me with to become the things I now worship. Clarity and focus are my prayer for us today. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9-11 that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow!